Hi friends, I'm Christine Dynese, Integrative Epigenetic Health Specialist and host of the WellExamine podcast. WellExamine is where science and discovery meet human intuition and wellness to help everyone claim sovereignty over their health and vitality. Each episode, I'll chat with the most clever minds in integrative health, biohacking, and neurolinguistics, as well as reputable citizen scientists across all facets of wellness. As the world begins to take their health into their own hands, never before have we so badly wanted second, third, and fourth opinions. WellExamine serves to offer alternative treatments, ancient traditions, and the latest medical research with a measured dose of objectivity, levity, and a fun bedside manner. Today, we're in Venice Beach with Jana Romer, yogi, astrologer, and our midwife of awakening. Jana's education resume is like a lifestyle design spiritual playground to me. She's backpacked through (laughs) Australia, has learned alongside Ram Dass and Joe Dispenza, among others, and has spent countless hours across the world absorbing the wisdom of yoga and astrology that she shares with others today. So Jana talks about how we all long for the same things, to be heard, to be seen, to belong, to love and be loved. And she intuits that the survival of our species depends on those of us willing to wade into the unknown, to imagine a future that has yet to exist, and then ground that futuristic reality into now. So for me, connecting with Jana today is like coming home to something sacred and familiar. Uh, I was really just getting goosebumps when I learned all about your adventures and where you've been and who you've studied with. It was so awesome. And I want to read something that uh, Jana has written about herself, the way she self-describes. She says, I'm a mystic who appreciates science, yet my curiosity doesn't end there. I'd rather challenge science than silence my intuition. And yes, I got total goosebumps when I read that. (laughs) I was so excited about meeting you today. So we're going to get into the stuff of life here. And as everybody who knows, who's always listening along now for well Examine, I always ask everybody uh, to introduce yourself by describing your ikigai or your purpose in life and how you came to where you are now. Oh, it's the question, isn't it? What is our purpose? Afros, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. And I love that that's the quote that stood out to you because that is really the foundation of my purpose is to challenge status quo and challenge um, uh, individual and shared belief systems that keep us limited. And what I've come to recognize is that um, the more we're able to acknowledge that we don't know, (laughs) the more we're able to continue to learn and expand into what truth actually is. And that purpose then comes down to being a truth seeker. I love that. And so then it's always changing. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but know? rooted in that. It is rooted in that. And it was really interesting. I was listening to Dr. Jacob Lieberman and I love his teachings. And he said something that shook me. He said he was looking in the opposites of a belief. Like what is the opposite of a belief? Because a lot of the work that I do is rooted in belief. Same. Yeah. So I want to hear how he breaks this <laughs> and down. And he just said, when he looked it up, that one of the words that was listed as the opposite of belief is truth. Ah. And I was like, <laughs> ah, that's so deep. 
<laughs> right? It's there. There's so much to that because we have these socio, like sociological beliefs. We have individual beliefs. We have familial beliefs. We have smaller cultural beliefs. You know that are constantly shaping our perception of reality or our idea of truth. Yet when you break down the belief, you discover that it's actually keeping you from that truth. Keeping you from that truth. Yeah, we recently discussed that with some uh, neurolinguists and we talked about what's made up, what's reality, mm-hmm. you know, our, our versions and how all of our stories kind of collide. Yeah. Is yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So I want to go back to what I was reading about your childhood. You say that you were raised by hippies and you say the real kind. I loved that uh, because of their roots in farming and life philosophies. And as people get to learn today, you know, about what you're doing now, I wanted to ask, was meditation always part of your life? And I guess, how have you cultivated or how did you cultivate visualization? And was that when you were really little? How young were we talking about here? Okay, so there's like three questions in there. I know. All the questions are always so loaded. Tell me this. Okay, so Here's I was Part raised B. by hippies. Let's start there. Um, I was raised in a town, outside of a town of 150 people in Saskatchewan in Canada. So uh, my mother came from a farming family with eight children and my great-grandfather wow. immigrated from Sweden. So there's this combination of... Um, socialist, like Swedish socialist belief system, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, where we take care of each other, you know, and, and my, my grandfather worked with Tommy Douglas, who Americans (sighs) might not know Tommy Douglas. So yeah, tell us about him. Tommy Douglas, um, is the pioneer of universal healthcare in Canada. Oh, okay. And so, so in my family, this belief that we take care of each other and that we, that we live with the land is super strong. And I think that's really the foundation of being a hippie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, It really is, (laughs) you know? And so we didn't have any chemicals in my house. I lived on an acreage and you asked when meditation started. And I would answer that in that my family or my parents didn't give me specific, like here, sit down and meditate, but they left me alone a lot And in that aloneness in nature, there naturally arises the meditative state of pure presence because I wasn't raised with distraction. We didn't, you know, we had like the bunny rabbit ears on our TV that you had to adjust to maybe get two channels. And when I was a teenager, (laughs) that third channel came, you know, so we didn't watch TV. There were no devices. The phone was hooked to the wall. There was no call display as we all grew up. But I also wasn't in the city. So I didn't have fast food. I didn't have restaurants. I didn't have any of that. And, and, um, and sounds very magical. It was, I mean, I probably hated it a bit as a kid, but looking back, you know, spending hours of my weekend sitting by a river, watching the water flow, you know, so beautiful. Yeah. And, and gardening as a meditative practice now as an adult, I'm like, well, I just did that as a kid, you know? So all of life is more like a meditation when you just live that simply. So do you feel like uh, you took that with you just so naturally that when you were starting to maybe discuss meditation with other people, you just had a natural way of, were people asking you about meditation or it was part of your early life, just personal life where you weren't really talking about it in public because some people might not know that you were an ice skater. You were a figure right. skater, for example. I read that about you. And so I was like, okay, there was that part of her life. Moving she was in, doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was sort of following your, uh, 
you know, your education resume. Yeah. I was like, oh, interesting. Ice skater. And then you started, you know, getting into yoga, yeah. et cetera. So did you find that that helped you on the ice? You know, I think if we look at it, if we break down what we believe meditation to be, meditation as a state is a balanced and calm nervous system. And if meditation as a state is a balanced and calm nervous system where you're able to sit in a one pointed awareness or in spacious awareness, those are both meditative experiences. Yeah. Then when I, you know, in my teenage years and when I moved to the city and went to university and did all those things, I actually grew into anxiety, but returning home to that state of meditation was easier to find because the base of my nervous system is one of calm rather than the base of my nervous system being one riddled with anxiety from the get-go. Yeah, your base remembers. And so you can return home, if you will, in my that sense. My subconscious mind is filled with meditative states. Yeah, I love that. That's so <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, so for, you know, for me, when I was thinking about everything I wanted to talk to you about today, I was, it was like I was taking a little visual journey through your, you know, through your resume, your life. And when I was noticing some of the teachers that you spent time with, uh, Ram Dass pops out to me. I was saying to you last night when I messaged you, I almost peed my pants when I saw that. <laughs> I love him so much. I remember yeah. when I was introduced to his work in med school yeah. and it was during a really serious time in my life when uh, alternative medicine was trying to keep up with the Jones and really go mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I you know, so when I was introduced to his work, I remember saying, screw that. There's no reason to try to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, go your own path yeah. with integrative medicine. So tell, yeah, tell us about, uh, you know, what that was like meeting him and how that touched your life then and now. So Ramdas came into my life very early through, <laughs> through actually the town that I grew up in, there's a lot of people that did a lot of LSD. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and so my first intro to Ram Dass was with his experimentation with LSD. Which I don't think a lot of people know about. Yeah. And, but that was, I mean, he was a Harvard, Harvard professor yeah. that discovered, well, his friend, Timothy O'Leary, brought him <laughs> and was like, oh my gosh, you'll learn more in one journey with this medicine than you will in all the years of grad school and being a professor of philosophy. And so when he experienced it for the first time, he was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I need to share this with my <laughs> yeah. students. And he started doing studies, <laughs> you know, on his grad students with LSD and as a, a vehicle to explore consciousness. And so that was my first intro and I didn't understand him as a spiritual teacher. I understood him as somebody who was sharing LSD to help people. I guess it was a spiritual experience, but not in the way that I see him today. Gotcha. Okay. Where then as an adult, I was, I was really big into Anasara yoga. I don't know if you know that um, style, but there was a teacher named John Friend who he was absolutely an, like, an incredible teacher. And unfortunately he fell from grace and the Aww. whole Anasara community <laughs> fell down. But one of the things that John used to do when I would go study with him is he would introduce us to some incredible people. Dr. J. Lieberman, who I mentioned previously, oh, yeah. is one of them. Cool. And so um, I was on a retreat with him in Maui and he had a relationship with Ram Das, and he set up this training that it was a Bhagavad Gita intensive with mm -hmm. Ram Das. 
And then uh, a year later, and he blew me away. I mean, it was post-stroke. And so the first day of the training, John Friend schooled us on studentship. Like you sit up tall, you're attentive, you don't speak, you don't, you know, like he schooled us on studentship so that when Ram Dass came into the room, our presence as a group of, I think, 80 people was so profound that um, uh, Ram Dass had a stroke previous to that that affected his ability to speak. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this training, it was a three-day Bhagavad Gita intensive. He confessed to us. He said, I've never had such present students. It allowed my speech to come easier. And of course it was said in less words than that. And it it took her longer to say it. I thought it was going to take me longer to cry (laughs) while we were talking. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. But even that was one of those things where that in itself was such a teaching of when you give someone presence, what they're able to give you in return and how it affects their consciousness. And, you know, Ram Dass is just, he's love embodied, you know, Oh, I see his picture. I just want to hug him through the picture all the time. I always think he must be the best person to hug. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's really cool. And something that he said that was really important, because I also sat with him another time as well on the, I think it was the 40th anniversary of his book, Be Here Now, which I'm sure tons of the people listening know I recommend it left and right. If you don't know the book, you've seen it on someone's Instagram. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's drawn. the best. So he had a... um, I got to sit with him when he was celebrating 40 years of that book. And he told stories of that time. Where were you guys? We were in Maui again. That's where Ram Dass lives. Okay, cool. And he was telling stories of that time. And of course, somebody asked him about the LSD. I just want to bring that around full circle. I love it. Yeah. And he said that um, what he learned was that uh, the, the medicine of LSD may have put him in the room with God but it was up to him to learn how to stay there. And that's what meditation and prayer and embodying love has given him. So I just thought that was such a beautiful way for him as uh, this elder in a spiritual community. I mean, he brought so much to the West. Oh my gosh. No kidding. He was one of the first people to teach the Bhagavad Gita. He taught one of the first courses at Naropa University. And, you know, when it first opened ages ago and... Uh, for him to come full circle and, and share that teaching as well, I think is just so beautiful. And it's, I, I don't know, his, I feel like you could pick up just about anything he's written and hand it to anybody. Like their entry point to his work could be anywhere in his career, if anywhere. you will. It's not like you have to go back to, I mean, his roots are obviously special and I love all those stories and yeah. all the narratives that he shared. But, you know, even my daughter, she'll pick up some of his books and just, cause yeah. I've introduced, but like what he said, put him in the room with God, mm-hmm. but it's up to you, you know, to hold it with you and be able to attune to it and bring it with you. That's something that I'm trying to convey, teach, share with my daughter as I'm, you know, you're always learning how to do that. It's not like, oh, snap of a finger. Oh, I've got it. You know, it's perfect. But I feel like my biggest uh, takeaway from his work is trying to uh, parent and learn from my daughter at the same time. Amazing. Yeah, he's I don't know. Yeah, I could go out and just love it. One statement that he imparted on us in that first Gita Um, intensive was I am loving awareness and we just repeated I am loving awareness I'm loving awareness and you know to embody that I am loving awareness 
it shifts everything so quickly. If I'm loving awareness, like I am loving, I'm awareness that is loving. That's what I am. I'm awareness that is loving. And you could apply that in any situation, like the most challenging moment with your daughter. Or I have a son, Yeah. you know, the challenging moment with your partner, a challenging moment in traffic, like I'm loving awareness <laughs> and just bring that in and let it shift perspective. My philosophy teacher in med school, she used to uh, joke and, you know, talk about doing, you know, mantras and going over things in the car. She's like, people think you're crazy, but wherever you are, you just stop. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like good. we're talking about, are people talking to themselves? Are they talking to, <laughs> you know, you're just breathing it into the universe <laughs> back and forth. I love that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my next question for you, I really want to get into, because it's something I know a lot of people have, uh, are having a hard time with right now, uh, sexuality. Everybody's having a hard time with sexuality sure. through the ages, right? So it's a little bit of another one of those loaded questions. Okay. So it's about sex, yoga, and relating to kids. So for those of, uh, you out there who are new to Jana's work, she studied tantric sexuality and kundalini through the years. And I want to know how this learning has um, influenced your romantic relationships, but also just your interactions with the world at large. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just when you're out in nature and with, you know, with other people, but also now as a parent, do you think that those teachings will inspire uh, like a non-traditional birds and the bees conversation <laughs> or, you know, impact your child's understanding, I guess, of, you know, their sexuality and as a way of, as a way of life, do you feel like, uh, Tantra and Kundalini can extrapolate into the ways that we're teaching and relate to our kids about sexuality? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, it's really interesting that you would pull that out because the tantric sexuality courses that I've taken and Kundalini courses that I'm taking don't make it into my teachings directly. So it's okay. funny because you found in my, in where I studied, you'd, you found something that sits really deep in my own underbelly with this. And when I went to that school where I took this tantric sexuality course, um, I was very suspicious of the school. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is great. I was very suspicious of the school. And I had a uh, one of my best friends going there. And I felt really uneasy with the way that the school was portraying tantric sexuality. What was it that you had you had to confirm your suspicions or you wanted to disprove your, how'd you get there in the first place? I was worried that she wasn't coming back. Uh. And so my approach to life is experience Trump's opinion. And so I went for the experience because I wanted to see, I wanted to understand the language she was in, immersed in. And I wanted to understand the culture of this school. And so I went and all my suspicions were confirmed and, you know, I went <laughs> and, you know, I think we're eight years later and he's one of these fallen gurus, you know, mm. it's like the, the, the school has like completely imploded because of how it's, it's gross, you know, right. it's pretty gross. Um, the abuse that was riddled through the school. And so for me personally, I'm always one of these people when I study anything, I'll take what works and I'll leave what doesn't and take what works and leave what doesn't. And so despite the fact that <laughs> I went there on this covert spy mission, yeah, I love this. <laughs> That's so great. Um, Yogi I, spy. <laughs> yeah. I, um, 
I also learned a lot. And I would say the biggest thing that I learned about Tantra, take out the sexuality, Tantra, is that this is a, these are tools to help us understand how we weave together. And so if we look at Tantra from a more uh, pure or holistic perspective, it's about relationships. It's about how we relate to anything and how we are all interrelated and ultimately are one, you know? And when I left that school, I decided to study a few other teachers independently of that. And what I found was the most highly regarded Tantra teachers don't talk about sex. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Right. Tell us more. (laughs) Um, Although, you know, like, um, I love Margaret, Margot Anand. I've only ever read her stuff, so I might be saying her name wrong. But in her book, let's say it's 16 chapters, the first eight or nine chapters, you're not even talking about a partner. You're talking about yourself. yourself. And then it goes into how do you relate? How do you have a conversation? How do you breathe? How do you meditate? How do you witness? How do you hold space for another? You know, it's so to me, the depth that comes through tantric sexuality practices start way before you ever take your clothes off. (laughs) Yeah. The how do you witness part? I think that's really profound. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you witness and then how do you hold space? Mm hmm. I, don't, I feel like that part's just skipped over <laughs> for people in general. Well, we're also caught up in taking everything so personally because everything is about me, 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 yeah. me, 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 that it's impossible to really see another person. And so that's the first entanglement that has to happen. And I think when you bypass some of those first stages and tantric sexuality in some of these schools, like the one I went to, for example, where you're encouraged to make love with multiple partners, well. you know, um, there's so much bypassing, like, mm-hmm. sure, free love, great. Yes, sure, have fall in love with everybody. Sure, want your partner to be happy. I get it. I'm into it, actually. It's totally cool. I want nothing more than my husband to be happy. We're not sleeping with other people. Sure. <laughs> you know, but that also means that I have to stand back from his experience. Mm-hmm. I have to untangle myself from his emotions. I have to... Um, I have to be willing to watch him fall on his own and get up himself. And that I think is the same in parenting as well, where we're just looking at the interrelatedness of these two souls working out their own karmic experiences that we bring in, you know, as a person and we create as we live, um, and allow for the differences to be what makes it fun and exciting. Well, you used two words you talked about or two phrases, you know, first you said weave together and then you're talking about entanglement and unentanglement Yeah. and in parenthood weaving together certainly sounds a whole lot better than the, you know, entanglement because I've been in both places, but we're so entangled with our children. Yeah. Are you kidding? (laughs) Like there's probably very, there, I don't know if there's a less attached relationship that I have. Well, I certainly haven't experienced one yet. <laughs> now that I am a parent of seven years. Right. Like I, you know, my investment in this tiny human's life is enormous. And the level of responsibility that I feel for his, I don't know, unfoldment. Yeah. I don't know. It's high. The stakes are high. My actions, the the mirror of who I am has never been stronger than witnessing him 
say the exact same things that I say, or, yeah. you know, like I love adopting the same beliefs or, you know, it's, it's intense being a parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm not addressing the sexuality directly yet, but I will say something about that. But I think more so what it is, is it's understanding how to be whole on your own to show up whole for another. Show up whole for another. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really the root of it is this deep trust in, in, um, I, I don't know. I'm going to say faith. I'm not sure if that's the word, but like to but have everybody gets that. Yeah. Like I have faith in, or I have deep trust that we're meant to be together, you know, me and my son Mm -hmm. and me and my husband and, you know, whatever form that takes throughout the course of this long life that we live together. And, um, and to be the witness as best as I can and to allow him to come out as purely as he can. You know, I love that. Yeah. As far as the birds and the bees conversation goes, it's so funny because I'm, uh, you guys, I'm, I'm like, 40 weeks pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 39 weeks pregnant. Everybody, I joked when I got here that uh, we could be assisting in a home birth today. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, this birth could happen any day now. And so exciting. Yeah. And so, of course, my fi- almost five-year-old, he'll yeah. be five in less than a month, has some questions. And it's not that we've avoided them, but we haven't gone into, like, perfect details. Sure. <laughs> you know, he's four. You he sort of little. giggle your way through it a little bit. Yeah. Like, and last night he was like, do you put your penis in the vagina? <laughs> oh, so he came to this conclusion on his own. Yes. He like, <laughs> he's like, is that what, like, do they fit together? And my husband and I were both like, my husband rolls over. He's like, I'm not ready for this yet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like somehow disappeared himself out of the room. And no, he out. stayed, but he was just like, ah, what do we do? <sighs> but I think with everything with him, you know, anybody who has a kid, from the time he was in diapers, you take the diaper off and his hand is going to explore his penis and, you know, and it's very natural. And so we've just let it be natural. We've never shamed him. We've never used, you know, pet names for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't hide my physical form from him at all. He knows all the, and like anatomically correct names, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I try, we try our best to answer the questions as they come. So wait, did you answer the question? Well, <laughs> I mean, come on, you have to tell us if you did I know, it's so funny. Uh, we kind of giggled. And then my husband, yeah. with his reaction of like, I'm not ready for this yet. Um, and then he just kept going. Like he, my son talks a lot and he has a lot of questions and he kept going. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't pull it back to it. Oh, that's yeah. funny. My daughter uh, sat me down on the kitchen floor one night when my husband was away. And said, Bob, we need to talk about something. And then just like your son presented his theory, you know, she did the same. Yeah. And she's looking in my eyes, you know, so there was no chance of me rolling away. Yeah. She <laughs> sat right down and looked at me, you know, so said, yeah, actually, that is exactly <laughs> yeah. how it goes. Yeah. The questions earlier have been, well, I know for sure you're my mom, Aww. but what does dad have to do with this? <laughs> He's like, they grow, the baby grows inside you. So Mm -hmm. what does dad have to do with it? I'm like, oh, daddy, daddy participates. He gives me a seed and the two seeds make the baby. Yeah. And so I think that's how he put it together. Does the penis go in the vagina? I mean, obviously that seed must be delivered somehow. Yeah. Yeah. They're smart. They get that. No, yeah, they're smart. But I love what you're saying about weave, weave together. It doesn't matter what you think about anything. You could hear that and it feels 
that just feels good, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm glad that you brought up the part about, uh, you know, Tantra isn't just about sexuality. Cause I think that's what everybody thinks that it is about. And what I've learned about Kundalini, the uncoiling mm-hmm. aspect, uh, for, you know, parents who are having a hard time talking to their kids about, you know, something. I remember hearing something about like, you know, as you're uncoiling, you're just naturally, you know, like inviting conversations, if you will. Mm. So I don't know. How does that come out through your teaching that mm. maybe the uncoiling isn't the the word? I like, don't do think people I really come- use Kundalini and sexuality with my son and... It's interesting because people ask me these about this a, a lot. It's really interesting. And it's not my specialty. So, okay. So here's, here's, <laughs> we're going to kind of jump a little bit. Yeah. Jump. Okay. So Dr. Joe Spence is one of my teachers. And if you know his work, of he course. has like whitewashed all of the ancient teachings into just pure, beautiful science, like yes. very beautiful scientific evidence. But he's basically taking the mystical experience, including the rising of Kundalini, and he's explaining it through the nervous system and the endocrine system. And what I've learned uh, both through my own experience and studying with Dr. Joe Dispenza and maybe a little bit of plant medicine, <laughs> you know, multiple sources, yes. uh, learning for myself is that, um, when we're talking about Kundalini energy, there's, uh, <laughs> like the Kundalini yoga, story about it, like lifting too fast and making somebody go crazy or being very painful and shocking and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes. People have experiences where Kundalini energy can move in very forceful, uncomfortable ways and cause awakenings that people aren't necessarily quite ready, ready for. for. Yeah, that's true. However, when you're working with the nervous system and you're working with your own emotionality and you're working with your own trauma and your own woundage and healing these things. And you're starting to understand how the nervous system can be either an incoherent experience or a coherent experience. When the nervous system is incoherent, just to define that very simply to have your attention being pulled in 10,000 different directions. Okay. (laughs) Or a coherent nervous system is when your attention is focused on one common thing, typically the body. Okay. So when you get your nervous system into a state of coherence and you're directing energy up the spine, or you're consciously working with different emotional touch points, and then consciously conjuring forth the felt experience of heart based emotions, or Joe says elevated emotions. So we can just go in um, love or appreciation or gratitude or joy or gra- uh, I said gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah, elevated yeah. emotions. What happens is if, if there's uh, freedom for the energy to move through the spine, the heart, the gate of the heart is open. It will then continue to rise. And each of the plexes, like the nervous system plexes, mm-hmm. is connected to an endocrine system gland, which is connected to a chemical experience, which is labeled, as we know, as different emotions. Yes. And so if we're working at that depth, and we go into coherence and we've worked out our emotional um, experiences 
and the energy is able to move. It is one of the softest, sweetest, most magnificently beautiful experiences. And it's essentially you're moving cerebral spinal fluid up the up, spine. Up, up, yeah. And when you have that experience, it's really cool because Joe, I just did a, I don't know, I've done, I don't know how many events with him now, quite a few, but he's getting more like risque every time. And this last one, he compared the pineal gland. Mm-hmm to a penis, like it being a phallic symbol. Yeah. And then he showed the image of where the cerebral spinal fluid goes up and it squeezes the, <laughs> the thing and it yeah. looks like a clitoris. And so when you bring the energy up the spine, you bring the cerebral spinal fluid, the actual cerebral spinal fluid yeah. up the spine and it squeezes the pineal gland. And then the pineal gland, you know, ejaculates mm-hmm. this like milky substance. It's DMT and DMT is the spirit molecule. The and spirit that's what molecule. gives you the mystical experience. And so if you're not ready for a mystical experience, and all of a sudden you're blown Bam. wide open yeah. and you're having a conversation with God and you're, you're so far beyond any of these perceived belief systems as reality. Like that, I could see how that would be overwhelming, but if you're doing the work, like you're doing step by step, you're looking at yourself, you're looking at your history, you're looking at life, you're questioning reality, you're questioning status quo, you're willing to go beyond what like the science has settled is my least favorite oh, statement in the world. Yes. <laughs> you know, Never. Like going beyond all of this and you're ready for it. It is the most ecstatically blissful glorious experience you could ever have. Well, I have people who have, you know, come into my practice for years and the HPA axis is completely jacked up. You know, their entry point is, Oh, sorry. What's HP? Oh, so hypothalamic pituitary axis. Great. Otherwise known as, you know, like states of adrenal fatigue. Yeah. And I'm keying in as you know, you're talking about this and you know, people ask questions. Well, how can I you know, they'll, they'll literally use the phrase, how can I get my spirituality intact? You know, they, they're like, like they want to reach off a shelf, right. And grab something almost like a, a supplement and yeah. they've got all their labs sitting there. You know, they've got all this information, if you will. And, but they don't want to talk about their story. Right. You know, they don't but want to talk about the story. Yeah. The beliefs, the truth. They don't want to talk about any of that. It's just like, give me a prescription based on, you know, my labs, if you will. But this is where, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is where people need to be starting their yeah. entry point. I almost never now will get into people's genetics or do the labs or any of it with people until, you know, they can tell me who, who are you out in the world? What's, what's your story? What's, you know, what's going on? Let's, you know, talk about let's it. Let's unpack some of this. Yeah. Let's unpack some of this. Cause otherwise we're, you know, just talking about this arbitrary place where, like I was saying, the HPA axis is completely jacked up and they, they want to take the spirituality off, off the shelf. And if you're not ready for it in that way, and you haven't talked about the story and been tamping that down, you know, well, and people the need explosion, to, uh, if you will. Yeah. And people need to understand that the chemicals and the hormones that our body is making, this is a pharmacy. Yes. This is our inner pharmacy. And it is more powerful than the external pharmacy. <clears throat> All the external pharmacy is going to do is suppress or repress or battle with the natural thing that's happening. And so the way that we dose ourselves in that pharmacy is through the emotions that we're having. And so if you haven't 
unlocked something unresolved, you're just going to continue dosing yourself with the chemical that keeps you depressed or sad or in anxiety or, or, you know, whatever it is and whatever you put on top of it might keep squishing it, but it's never going to resolve it. Yeah. And so, (laughs) so it's great that we have these tools. I'm, I think that you know, pharmaceutical science is super impressive. I don't know that we would get, would have gotten to where we are in our understanding with the inner pharmacy without the advent of the external pharmacy. Oh, agree, completely. You know, and, and to work them in, in, um, collaboration with each other is incredible what we can do. Um, but I think, at least what I, I mean, I live in a bubble. I get to see people that really want to heal on such a deep level. And what I see time and time again is people saying enough is enough and I'm getting to the bottom of this. And that's when the real healing happens. Yeah. And you know, for years, I, uh, you know, I was convinced that nutraceutical Mm. science was where it was at in my way back early years, even though I had just come right out of all of the philosophical teachings, I thought, oh, well, there, you know, there has to be an easier way. <laughs> but it will support Because I it. wasn't ready for my story yet, right. you know? So that was my route, my way to, you know, be able to help guide people. Yeah. And, you know, the message just, you know, it goes from a whisper to a loud yell. And but I it think teaches too, you it's that helpful. Way. It's helpful. It's oh, like, okay, sure. I can't handle it. I'm going to take the med at least then I can get here. Okay. Now I don't want meds. I'm going to do nutraceuticals. I'm a superfood junkie, yeah. you know, like all that stuff. Okay. That helps me. That helps me. But still, it's still, you, you keep listening. It, every stream is going to end up back at the same ocean, you know? For sure. So this conversation about the bubble, mm-hmm. uh, we talk about it so much at the fullest, uh, <laughs> you know, we write about it, we talk about it, we just had a conference about it. And that's huge, this bubble. I mean, the whole popping of the bubble, you know, you say people who really want to heal come to you. Well, you know, people who really want to heal come to me. Yeah. And they're at all different levels, you know, they're at some different place, you know, in their, in their story. And so when I would say, well, this part isn't my specialty, but I practice integrative medicine and integrative doesn't mean here's acupuncture, here's, you know, your superfood. It's just all of it yeah. healing out in nature. And so I think for a lot of the people listening now they're fringe wellness bubble people. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the wellness bubble, but, you know, not only are we having this conversation here together, but the people who are fringe are going to then, you know, go tell their families in the Midwest and start talking about this more. It's so important. Yeah. I feel like talking about it with kids is the most important because kids will talk to anybody about anything. Anything. <laughs> I know. I feel like that's really, really important. Yes. (laughs) You know that sugar's bad for you, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter's learned where she'll she'll say, Well, I don't think they really wanted to listen, but I knew how I felt about that. I just told them a little bit about it. You know, she'll say things like that. So where? And I'll say, Well, that's great because I just start going off about whatever the thing is. But I feel like uh, you know, People, like you said, I th- I'm really thinking about that now. People who people who really want to heal are coming to you. I have to think. I mean, about they go that. to a lot of different places. Sure, that's my bubble. Yeah. You know, people go all over, but usually, usually people come to me because somebody told them, "If you want to change your life, go to Jenna. <laughs> go to Jenna. <laughs> you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to 
I love that. If you want to change your life, go to Jana. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of word of mouth. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have a PR team or advertising or any of that stuff. It's just through experience shared. That's pretty old school. See, that sounds like something Ram Dass would say. If you want to change your life, bam, here, <laughs> here's the you know anecdote. I guess I think of the bubbles as like uh, something that I do want to be more permeable. I guess mm. maybe they sort of can rub up against each other and ooze their way into each other a little bit yeah. and become more integrative. Cause what we're talking about now, I, I would love to be so much more mainstream. Yeah. And when I'm talking to, uh, you know, my science community in the UC system, talking to my colleagues, they aren't always ready for this conversation yet, you know, because they're still charging insurance and, doing hourly things with their patients, but I convinced yeah. some of them to go do the work on their own. And then they start bringing it into, you know, the operating room, if you will. Yeah. And they can, you know, it builds their confidence and they can help people stay alive longer. So I just, just feel like this work could be extrapolated yeah. so far and wide. I mean, obviously we know it can, it's just accessibility points, I guess is really where I'm really going. It's, it's in, indoctrination. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. You know, I think that I think that if we took some of these, for example, I I got to sit next to a gentleman who's really big in quantum physics, and he was going. He he's making his life mission to change how physics is taught in school because they're teaching Newtonian physics. But mm-hmm. if kids understood quantum physics, that would change their understanding of reality. And so it really starts with the kids, I think, because the majority of the population is going to school and mm-hmm. we get fed the same information at a time when our minds are very vulnerable and open. And then we continue on our path. So like the medicine world, when you go into, I mean, I didn't study medicine. I studied what I did, Yeah, but it's the same thing. Like I don't even think about medicine anymore. Uh-huh. Right. Because I'm like <laughs> epigenetics and yes. the power of the mind and psycho, um, immunology. And, you know, I, I think from the perspective of healing our heart and our emotions and our ability to love and give love, (laughs) you know, but at the same time I broke my back. And so I was in an ambulance to a a hospital in surgery where there was no other place for me to be, Mm -hmm. you know, so I have respect for it. But I also recognize at the same time when I'm in those environments, their education is one of great indoctrination into the pharmaceutical medical world. Yeah. And so, you know, just the same way I take my teachers, I take what I want and leave the rest. Okay. So this is a good time to talk about, uh, yoga nidra. Yeah. Okay. okay, So for, this is the way I understand it. So I want to tell people who are new to the concept, it's like a healing psychic, almost sleep state of <laughs> consciousness. That's the way, the way I can think of it, like the ultimate nap, but not really a nap sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So, uh, can you, can you tell people a little bit about your creation of astro yoga nidra and how, uh, these teachings can restore neurophysiology? And I think it'll help people understand like what Joe Dispenza is talking about is very real and accessible. Very real. Maybe three, you know, this could be a route for people's understanding. Okay. It's like a tangible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, let's just start with the state of what yoga nidra is. Yeah. Because first of all, it's impossible to explain. 
it's impossible to explain the state. You have to experience it. It's like me telling you about this fruit <laughs> that you've never seen before and I have to pass it to you and you have to bite it and you have to taste it. But which I kind of love. I know, right? That. You have to experience <laughs> it. Um, but from like a technical standpoint, we live in our conscious mind. Well, we think we're living more in our conscious mind day to day. Yeah. And <clears throat> really what's happening is our subconscious mind is driving our ship. And the subconscious mind is filled with beliefs and programs and conditions from our life experience. And when we go into the state of yoga nidra, what we're doing is we're allowing, first of all, you're doing this laying down in Shavasana. Mm -hmm. So the nap analogy is very real because <laughs> a lot of people fall asleep. I, for one, fell asleep for like five years in the practice before I ever <laughs> stayed aware for a practice. Aww. So yeah, <laughs> felt like a waste of time, but it wasn't, it was helping. And when you, when your body falls asleep and you're able to keep the mind aware and the mind softens out of the ego and the mind softens out of the analyzer and you, it's like you drop a layer underneath yourself where the analyzer no longer gets to sit front row of the experience because it's a non-logical, nonsensical place that we endeavor to travel. And some people will compare it to somewhat of a dream space at times because it is an altered state. Like when was the last time you let your body fall asleep and keep kept awareness online. You know, yeah, it's, it's not, rare. this isn't something that mm -hmm. we're doing. So it's something that we learn. And when we get into the state of yoga nidra, what happens is we gain access to the 95% of our mind that is the subconscious. And in that subconscious mind is the root of everything that makes <laughs> you, you. Good, bad, ugly, helpful, <laughs> all, all of stuff. it, all of it, <laughs> beliefs, burdens, you name it. It's all there. And there are many programs in our subconscious mind that are very helpful, like how to drive a car or, you know, <laughs> like how to drive to work or, you know, the things <laughs> that are helpful. It's like um, you're in a little canoe. All right. I'm going to leave this over here, but let's go check this out. Yeah. We'd be really <laughs> inefficient if we didn't have our subconscious mind. And yeah. also, you know, in motherhood, like the mother the natural mother intuition or instinct that that's coming from the subconscious mind. This is like an archetype that mm -hmm. exists within us that we have access to. So it's helpful, but it also can be limiting. It also can be challenging. It can also um, paint a layer of illusion over top of what we perceive as reality. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really great point to bring up. <laughs> yeah. And so when we, <clears throat> when we go into the practice, personally, I work with a lot of detail in, in the practices that I provide. Um, one of my favorite things to play with within the practice are, is polarity. So, um, let's just use grief and love as an example. If we're not acknowledging our grief as an expression of love, then it can seem like overwhelming sadness. But part of the reason why we grieve is because we love so deeply. Mm. And if we can see how these two seemingly separate things are actually one and the same, then we can have a better relationship with grief and let it flow. You know? Yeah. Um, I think another one, <laughs> I'll take it back to motherhood since you brought it in. Before, oh yeah, for sure. Is like mom guilt. Oh yes. But also the innocence of it, mm -hmm. you know, like we mothers feel guilty for there's a laundry list Oh uh, yeah. and everything <laughs> on that laundry list, not everything, but I'd say like the vast majority of things on that laundry list of mom guilt are 
out of pure innocence. Like you didn't know, you thought you were doing the best you could. You didn't understand the consequences of your actions or you, out of absolute necessity. Like I have to go to work. I, I have to go to work. Yeah, I have to right? go to work, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so there's an innocence in it, but when we can see that the, that this guilt and this innocence are coexisting, one of the same, like they're of the same, um, to serve a higher need. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. And so we can work out and become more okay with the challenging emotions. So that's, that's a big thing that I tend to work with. I try and do maybe one. I used to do more. If you find my old recordings, there'll be more, but I'm trying now to make them more specific. So you're dealing with like one polarity in a practice. Mm -hmm. And then, um, visualization, because what's interesting about visualization is that we're creating new neural networks in our brain. And so if I'm conjuring forth an emotion that I desire, let's say appreciation, and then I'm, uh, visualizing a future experience and I'm appreciating mm -hmm. <laughs> the support that helped me have this future experience come to life, then I'm creating the neural network in my brain. So I'm creating the actual architecture, the chemical response. It's like muscle memory, but chemical memory so that I can recognize when it comes to me. So if I'm visualizing, let's say, cause a lot of people, a lot of people are trying to find love. So let's just yeah. say you're visualizing your lover, <laughs> right? So you're right. visualizing your future lover. Um, when you visualize what you want, I want him to be humble. I want him to be powerful. I want him to be grounded. I want him to have a good relationship with himself, you know, and you rehearse what that would potentially feel like to be with a partner that has all those things, then it's easier for you to recognize it when it's right in front of you. But what we typically do is we walk around and we're like, I'm never going to find them. All men are assholes. Yeah. Oh, my lord, I swear. <laughs> Say it all. <laughs> Anyways, and, and you, and you name all the things that you, don't, that you want, don't want and you ruminate this over and over again in your mind. Of course, that's what you're going to recognize. You're going to see it again and again, and you're going to be reinforced with that because that's what you're mentally rehearsing. And that's what you're creating. There are networks to receive, to be able to see, because we have to remember that we're only seeing like, like such a, small, I don't even think it would be a one percentage of yeah. reality, mm -hmm. you know, like we're not seeing the world as it is. We're seeing it as we rehearse. Ah, uh, this is just such the theme of <laughs> all of our recent conversations on well-examined. And it's really important that you uh, bring this up because this conversation, everything you're saying right now is the conversation that I have with my patients the very first time, you know, that we're talking, just reframing. So people still find it very intangible when you're sitting holding the discussion, they're, they're feeling really happy about that possibility, but then they leave your presence or they're no longer talking to you. And then they're now responsible for recreating that. Yeah. So that's, I think is the part where people really, they're like, I just need something tangible. The reframing feels good. You know, that's how I was raised. That's what my mother taught me and you know, how to come back to it yeah. and always, you know, instead of, okay, well, that's a nice list of what you don't want, but let's talk about what you do want. And yeah. then let's now bring that, uh, you know, feeling, like you said, the emotion in. Yeah. and people just need the practice, something tangible. It's something honestly easy. 
Well, and that's where Yogi Nidra is so easy because you're beyond the analyzer, which means you're deeper in the subconscious mind, which means you're rewiring at a deeper level. You're changing your belief system. The analyzer isn't getting in the way. The judge isn't there. You know, you're beyond the place of all doubt. You are there completely surrendered and believe that it's possible. I love that. And so you're working at such a deep layer of the subconscious mind that it actually accelerates the morphing that happens inside that's necessary in order to receive what it is that you're, it's not just what you're calling in either. It can be healing as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be, you can heal your procrastination. (laughs) (laughs) So do you, um, I hope this isn't a silly question, but is it like a, a prescriptive thing? You know, you're with somebody and you're suggesting um, how often to consciously practice yoga nidra. Well, I think you should do it every day. Every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'll take once a week. <laughs> I feel like once once you're doing it, you're going to just want to continue always. It. Almost addictive in a good way. Yeah. Because the other thing, if we get kind of nerdy about it, is the state is a coherent nervous system. Yeah. And a coherent nervous system when you're sitting in the seat of your autonomic nervous system. All those beautiful neurochemicals you're being washed with. It's Yeah. Wow. It's like a little bliss bath. <laughs> And then on top of that, it pulls all of your other systems into balance as well. Like if your autonomic nervous system is humming and rest and digest, then all of your inner resources can go back to your visceral body, your organ body. And the autonomic nervous system is going to say, okay, digestion, you're safe to digest now, digest. Okay, kidneys, you're safe to do what you do. Okay, lungs and heart, you're safe to do what you do. You don't need to worry about the external world. Like this is time for you to repair. And so, yes, we can work on manifesting or we can work on the emotional body, but just to get yourself into a state of coherence, then all your organs are going to start to run more smoothly. And if we look at Chinese medicine, for example, every organ is attached to an emotion. So if all of a sudden now you're your automatic breathing, like you're being breathed instead of breathing and you're being breathed from a cue that's bringing you back into homeostasis, that's going to help you work out grief according to Chinese medicine, just to bring it full circle to the pairs of opposites. So I don't even need to say grief and love. I just need to get you to be breathed by the universe and you'll work out some of that grief. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, I totally get what you're saying. So it's working on so many different levels. And I think that's one of the reasons it becomes so powerful is because it's body, mind, and spirit. But it's, we work on the koshas. It's like a Sanskrit word that talks about five layers. So it's the physical body, the emotional body, the mental emotional body, sorry, the physical body, the energy body, the mental emotional body, the creative intuitive wise body, and then the bliss body. And so we're working on all five of these layers simultaneously from the physicality to the chemical to the spaciousness. And so you're just like every side of you is getting. Every side of you. (laughs) Yeah. And then I made the astro nidras. I have been studying astrology for some time. And I noticed that when I would do my yoga nidra practice and then I would meditate or write, I mean, I would naturally start to write reflections on the astrology when 
I would look at like what's going on in the stars later. Ah, that's curious. Yeah. You know, and I was like, hmm, something's <laughs> happening here. I'm being tuned to. And of course, I'm already tuned to the astrology because that's something I've been writing on astrology for some time. But what I was struggling with pretty deeply at the time that I put these together with separation and division and being somewhat new to America, America is very divided. I don't need to, <laughs> Yes, <it laughs> we don't is. need to pretend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and now everywhere is, it's not just America. It's everywhere. Like the, the global political scene is it's division everywhere. Division, division, mm -hmm. division. And what I recognize is that the one thing that we all have in common is we're standing on the same earth. We're revolving around the same sun and we're looking at the same moon at night. And it's undeniably true that this is something that we all share. We cannot be divided over this. No. Until you go figure out how to live on Mars. <laughs> we cannot be divided on this. And when you look at the journey of the sun through the 12 constellations or the archetypes, we will look at 12 areas of our life. And so whether you believe in astrology or not, it doesn't matter. If you were to follow the astro nidras through one year, you would look at 12 fundamental areas of your life through the perspective of the subconscious mind and a, and a healing journey. And so that's how those were born. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons I was up late the past few nights was reading so much about your work <laughs> and what you've been creating. It's yeah. so, yeah, it's so cool. It's just such an access point yeah. for people. Well, and another thing that's really fascinating with it is that we can have people meditating all over the world, you know, we can have people doing yoga nidra practices all over the world. But, and this, I only realized this last year and I, I started making these three years ago. Mm -hmm. I've taken some down. Yeah. <laughs> I've rebranded some yeah. of them and they're in the world, you know, but like over these three years, um, since January of 2016, um, what I recognize is that we can create coherence in our nervous system. Like I can create coherence in my nervous system and you can create coherence in your nervous system. But something that they've shown is that when meditators come together and meditate on the same thing, we create a group coherence in a community of nervous systems. And when that community of nervous systems is coherent, it has an effect on the incoherent nervous systems within its proximity. And one of the biggest studies was in Washington, D.C. with TM meditation, where they just asked people to come meditate mm -hmm. and do this specific technique. And they were studying crime rates and the crime rates went down significantly during this, I think it was a month or maybe three months oh, where they that's so cool. did these meditations. And what I recognize now, the astronauts are being downloaded in 68 different countries. And I was like, oh my goodness, we have people in 68 different countries doing the same practice over this period of time. That's so wild. Right? I love that. And so I, what, what's happening is my original thought was, well, we'll create coherence within myself, you know? It was a practice for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone was like, could you share that with me? And I was like, sure, here's a recording, <laughs> you know? And yeah. then, and then the, the, the community was just in Venice cause it was, you know, this is where I was. And then as I started to put them online, I saw it growing and I was like, wow, we're creating this coherent nervous system 
in communities around the world, which is a form <laughs> of togetherness in a world of division. I wish I knew you in med school. I did my dissertation on uh, remote prayer and meditation. Did? Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm just loving hearing you talk about this right now. <laughs> that would have really blown people away all those years ago if we could have talked about this yeah. then. But yeah. that we are talking about it now. I mean, 68 different countries being downloaded in that intention yeah. that's out there. That's incredible. I mean, I wish it was in the thousands of people, you know, but it, hopefully it will grow. It will. Yeah. Aw. Well, we have to get towards closing yeah. our chat today, but I want to bring up a really, really sweet Instagram. Do you mind if I share? Well, I mean, you're sharing your I'm Instagram, sharing right? But <laughs> yeah. it's just because it's personal. But, uh, you know, I was reading your Instagram about your son, Freddie, wanting to snuggle with you. Yeah. And how he put his hands on your cheek and you said, thank you for giving me life, mama. Thank you for carrying me in your belly so I could be here. I mean, I <laughs> cried. It's so sweet. You know, and it's I was so laying sweet. next to my daughter when I was, you know, reading it. Um, did you plan for Freddie's arrival according to the stars like you are for your new baby? And do you feel like that's, you know, why he is the way he is with you? You know, no, did Freddie you plan came in like or was a he a surprise? Freddie came in like a force. Aww. My husband and I, we actually, so we had gotten married and it was about three months after we had gotten married and we decided that we would um, try after being married for a year. Oh, cool. So we agreed. We were like, okay, we'll, we'll have a baby. Like we'll start trying <laughs> at a year of our marriage. Mm -hmm. And Freddie heard that we're ready to have a kid. Yeah. Basically the next time we had sex, we got pregnant. <laughs> He was like, okay, they're ready. I'm going in. <laughs> so that is so cool. And, and what's amazing is that the first ultrasound with Freddie, the due date, the ultrasound due date was our wedding anniversary. Oh, fun. So he just came on his own, you know, in his own way. And Aww. this one, uh, we didn't actually conceive for time, but more so <laughs> I'm like, which, which moon? <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like I just said, oh my gosh, that's so cool about 64 times throughout our whole conversation <laughs> right now. So I do want to tell people, how can they access your work? How can they become connected to you? Because everybody's going to want to, <laughs> for sure. The easiest way is through my website and my Instagram. And they're both just my name, Jana Romer. My Instagram's Jana underscore Romer or Jana underscore Romer. I will give your listeners a download to the current Astronitra for oh, when that's this so generous and podcast sweet. comes out. Yeah, that's so awesome. So then they can experience because I don't think that you can understand it unless you experience it. And we can talk about it, but if you just lay down there about 33 minutes, just lay down for 33 minutes and give it a go. And then, yeah, I love that. And thank sense. you because it, these conversations are beautiful and we're you know, blessed to be having them together. Yeah. And I just hope that all these conversations on WellExam will become more tangible. So thank you for offering that. And yeah. thank you for being with me today. Uh, Thanks for having us in your home. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. It's so fun talking to you. <laughs> <laughs>